Well, this morning, I wanted to talk to you about the privileges and promises of the believer. The privileges and promises, privileges of and the promises made to the believer. Very oftentimes, what happens is, you know, we go through um, a specific situation in our lives where we have a lot of pressure on the job. We go through marital struggles. We go through problems with our children. We go through financial stress. Whatever the case is, we have ailment, ailment in our bodies. And that felt need drives us to scriptures and we search the scriptures to find a verse that will be like a solve we can kind of like just put on that wound that we currently have. And so we, we, we basically fish out of all 66 different books verses that will work for us for our current pressure, need, or pain. Now, if that verse is taken in context and it applies to that situation and it's a promise or hope giving in some way, that is wonderful. There's another way to study the scriptures, and we, we do this usually on Sunday mornings is we say, okay, today we're going to talk about marriage. And then we go to the scriptures and we find all of God's thoughts regarding marriage and how to basically construct or live and put together a godly marriage. And that is topical, which is great if everything's remaining, remaining in context. But there's an even better way of looking at scriptures, and that is exegetical. Exeget the word exegete is the word to pull out of. Eisegete is to put into. So oftentimes what we do is we read the scriptures and we impose onto the scriptures the things we currently hope for, the things we want to believe about our lives, our futures, and our God. That's a very unhealthy way of doing it, but exegeting is the best way of doing it. That means pulling out of either the book, that specific book of the Bible, there are 66 different books, either pulling out of that book the meaning of that book, the intention of that author, or pulling out of that chapter what the author originally intended to say. You can only imagine if you take a whole book or if you take at least a chapter and you read the whole thing in context and you pull out of it all the different thoughts put together makes every statement, makes, causes the statement to make sense. You know, like they do in politics today, is they'll grab a, a half a statement and they put a spin on that thing and they change the entire meaning of it. In the same way, in order for us to prevent ourselves from putting a spin on a statement or a half a statement or one scripture, we sometimes have to go to the whole book or the whole chapter and study it in its complete form. And that's what we're going to do today. So if you have your Bibles with, with you, please turn with me to John, the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 10. We're going to walk through chapter 10 chronologically, verse by verse, in order to exegete, pull out of that chapter everything Jesus was saying about His sheep. In other words, we are going to look at all the privileges Jesus offers or gives to those who are part of His sheep and all the promises that He makes to them. So as you turn, let me just quickly see by a show of hands, is this too cold or too warm for you? Just comfortable? Perfect. John chapter 10. Now this 10th chapter of John, 
gives us a lot of comfort. That's why I'm just really looking forward to sharing it with you. Not only does it give us a lot of comfort, but it gives us a lot of security. A lot of security um, as Christians, eternal security. It gives us a lot of reason to live this short life filled with joy, with hope. And this chapter answers questions like, who, who did Jesus come to save? It answers questions like, which promises did Jesus make to his sheep, to his followers? What are the privileges of the believers? And in chapter 10, Jesus is basically continuing to address the same group of Pharisees that he was speaking to in chapter 9, the previous chapter. Because the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses, right? It was, it was one, one book. And so in chapter 9, he's addressing to us, with us, this issue about false leaders in, in, in Israel. Because the Jews were led by and followed who? The Pharisees. And he was going to address this whole issue with the Pharisees. He does so in chapter 9 in a very interesting way. It starts off by them finding this young man who was born blind. The disciples come to Jesus and said to him, Jesus, this man was born blind. Was it the sins of his parents or his own sins that caused him to be born blind? Jesus said, neither his parents' sins, or his sins. But it, he was born blind for God's glory. And we're about to see God's glory in this man's life. The purpose of his life was to be born blind so Jesus could heal that blindness and receive the glory for it. So Jesus says to this man, I almost said, watch this. No, he was blind. So he, he, took, some, he took some dirt. <laughs> watch this guy. <laughs> What are you talking about? He takes the dirt and he puts enough spit into that dirt to turn it into mud. He takes the mud and he smears it on, this, on his blind eyes. And then he says, go and wash his, your eyes. He washes his eyes and he comes back completely healed. Oh, the city erupted. Because everybody knew that this young man was born blind. And this Jesus just healed him. Imagine all this Jesus could do. I mean, the potential that he promised when they realize this blind man just received his sight. Immediately the Pharisees heard about it. The Pharisees wanted to investigate because they were jealous. They didn't want any influences other than their own. They wanted to be the most important. And so they interviewed him and they said, were you really blind? He said, yes, I was born blind. They said, were you really healed? Can you see? Yes, I can see. Well, who healed you then? It was Jesus. And they said, well, when did he heal you? Today. Ah, they found a reason to disqualify Jesus and make sure that, it's not, that he's not of God. How did they do it? They go, today's the Sabbath. And Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. That means Jesus just sinned. And God does not use sinners. God uses people like us, the Pharisees. And so half of the Pharisees were going like, He's not of God. He's a sinner. He worked on the Sabbath. The other half of the Pharisees were saying, well, you can't just, you can't just deny the fact that he, he healed this guy. The power of God healed this blind man. So they decided, well, what they're going to do is call the parents in. They called the parents in. They said, can you testify that this is your son? Yes, this is my son. 
Was he born blind? Yes, he was born blind. Now, they were in fear of the Pharisees of excommunicating them from the temple, right? And so they said, well, was he healed? Yes, he was healed. Did Jesus heal him? Well, no, that we don't know. That we don't know. And so they said, well, bring in the young man. Bring him back. And so they bring in the young man and they said, now, we want you to glorify God and testify that this man who healed you is a sinner. He did it on a Sabbath. And this young man, who was uneducated, said the most insightful, wise thing to these educated Pharisees. And he said, how amazing this is. I was blind and now I see. Figure it out. But what, what I can tell you is the amazing thing about this, this young man said to the Pharisees, is that you guys who are so educated in scriptures, who know that the Messiah, the Bible says, prophesies that the coming Messiah will heal the blind eyes. It says it many times. Here I am, my eyes are blind, and you cannot identify this man to be the Messiah. What's wrong with you? Why are you so blind? They got so angry at him, they threw him out. Well, Jesus got to hear about this. He comes to the man, he says, do you believe? The man said, yes, I believe. Then Jesus makes this judgment, this judgment statement in the last two or three verses in, of John 9. So go with me, just the previous chapter. I'm just giving you a little backdrop so that we can go into John 10, knowing exactly where we come from. In verse 39 of John 9, Jesus makes this judgment. He says, and Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world. Stop right there. For judgment, I came into this world. Hmm. Well, I seem to remember Jesus saying in another spot, for I did not come to judge this world, but I came to give life and life more abundantly. I did not come to judge, but I came to give life. And here he is saying the opposite. He is saying, for judgment I came into this world. To clarify why that is not a contradiction is because the word world is used in seven different ways in the New Testament. When it talks about the world, it could either refer to the earth. God created the earth or the world. It can refer to worldliness, like the world is under the sway of the wicked one, the whole world the culture, everybody. It can refer to the world of believers. It can refer to the world of unbelievers. So when Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, but I came to give life and life more abundantly, He was talking about not those who came to judge, but those He came to save. I did not come to judge you. I came to save you. The believing world, that's what I came to do. I came to give you life and life more abundantly. But here he's not speaking about the same world. Here he's speaking about the unbelieving world, the world of unbelievers. And he's saying, for judgment I came into this world. And here he tells us what that judgment is. So that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Wow. He came to make some see and to leave others blind. 
That's what he said. It's right here in your Bible. Watch this, verse 40. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things. And can you imagine how absolutely angry they had to be at this point? Because now they're starting to plot his death right after this. They said, we are not blind too, are we? Now, I said it nicely, but you can imagine what they said. They said, oh, so you come to judge by making some see and making others who see blind. Those who see the scriptures become blind, the Pharisees, and those beggars like this blind guy, you're going to just make him see? And suddenly they're going to be part of the kingdom and we're not? That's what they're saying here. They said, we are not blind too, are we? Come on, accuse us of being blind. You, you hear this a lot when people say, when people say, what? Are you saying I'm not a Christian? <laughs> you know, like when people do that, like, are you saying I don't know God? People go like, what? Are you saying I'm not saved? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Have you ever experienced that? The moment there's the disagreement, it's like, Oh, you're questioning that I know God. I know God, okay? God and I, we like this. <laughs> and that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. That's why, folks, I tell you, after so many years of ministry, the more I learn, the, the more I realize how little I know. And to come to the place of just saying, God, I humble myself. I, I'm, a clean, I'm a clear canvas, all right? Let's start from scratch. Explain this verse to me again. Explain that doctrine to me again. Explain this theology, theology to me again. Because the Bible is more than just what I wanted to say. Many people, Christianity is basically, a, is basically a, a hybrid between their emotions and their imagination. It's how they feel about what is right and wrong. And whatever they feel is right has to be God. And whatever they feel is wrong has to be the devil. And their feelings, if their feelings are hurt, well, that's not love. That couldn't be love. My feelings got hurt. You should stop hating. Well, and Jesus had to stop telling the truth in order to stop hating those who were offended by the truth he was telling, right? And so you can't really say, I mean, some people's Christianity, which is like a hybrid between their emotions and their imagination. Like, yeah, I just, I just love to feel God's love. I just love to, and I just imagine God just, just you know, I, I feel like God's stroking my emotions. And I just love being loved by God, and I imagine Him smiling at me right now. Oh, yeah, I see Him smile. I, he's not angry. Oh, yeah, he's not angry anymore. I just see him smile, and I feel so good about it. That is their Christianity. They come up with who God is by using spin, uh, spinning, putting a spin on a couple of verses. And so here we're saying Jesus is coming to judge by making some see and leaving others blind. And he said this. After they said, we are not blind too, are we? When they said that, Jesus responded with this. He said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see. I'm a believer too. I'm a Christian. I know God. 
since you say, we see, your sins remain on you. In, in this commentary, the study Bible, it says, it explains it real clearly. Your sin remains on you. Jesus had particular reference to the sin of unbelief and rejection of Him as Messiah and Son of God. Well, that's pretty clear because here's this young man who was just made, he, he just received the miracle. His eyes were just opened. He recognized the Messiah. And the Pharisees, who are steeped in Old Testament Scriptures, they couldn't see the Messiah. No, he couldn't be the Messiah. Oh, he couldn't be the Messiah. He's not even perfect. He healed on the Sabbath. No, we can't. He's not the Messiah. So their unbelief in the Messiah is the sin that remains on them. Now, Jesus, now this explains that Jesus was intending to say, meaning that if they knew their lostness, these Pharisees, and they knew the darkness therein, and they cried out for spiritual light, they would no longer be guilty of the sin of unbelief in Christ. That's why he said, if you would just say, okay, I know I'm blind. I know I'm dead in my sins. I know I'm depraved. No, I know that I'm radically, radically corrupted. I know that I'm lost. I know that I fall short of the glory of God. I know that I am in my sins and I am fallen. I know that I need your help, God. If only you would say, okay, I'm blind, God. I need light. He says, if only you would do that, you would be forgiven. But satisfied that your darkness was light and continuing in rejection of Christ, their sin remained upon them. So that was a good explanation to me as to what Jesus was saying when He said what He did right there. And then, from that moment, He starts teaching in the first verse of John chapter 10. So let's read verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter by the door in the fold of the sheep, but climbs up another way, he is a thief and a robber, but the one who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep listens to his voice. The sheep does what? Listens to his voice. The sheep listens to his voice. Jesus is giving us a way of identifying his sheep. They listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts all his own sheep outside, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. However, a stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus told them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what the things which he was saying to them meant. They were confused. So what do we have here? We have Jesus makes an analogy about his ministry and to whom he's come to minister using the theme of shepherding. He's, of course, the shepherd. And those who believe are, of course, the sheep. He says in verse 4, the sheep follow him because they know his voice. My question is, what does it mean that his sheep know his voice. How do I know his voice? Many people put a spin on this idea as to teach that I know the voice of God because I feel really good about gambling right now. 
I feel really, really, yeah, no, I just feel the peace. And I, that's not what he is talking at all, folks. <laughs> he is not talking about hearing God's voice by following what makes you feel good at that point. Everybody who heard from God throughout scriptures wanted to throw up after God told them what they needed to do. I mean, we, where do you want to start? Let's, you know, let's start with Moses. Moses, go to Pharaoh and, and tell him, let my people go. Oh, God speak. I don't want to do it. I'm scared. Send Aaron. No, you do it. I mean, everybody. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Ah, oh, I hate the Ninevites. I can't, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. Every example. Great man of valor. No, who are you talking about? Yeah, I'm talking to you, man of valor. Gideon, go and fight. I'm not, I'm the worst of the worst. I'm the weakest of the weakest in my whole entire tribe. Gideon, go. You're a man of great man of valor and might. No, God. It's like every time God calls people, it's like, no, no. But somehow these days we believe like, you know, I believe God's calling me just to like, you know, to move to the Seychelles. I just really feel a call. I feel good about Hawaii. I just feel really, this is God. I've got so much peace when I think about those palm trees. Man, God's speaking to me right now. I just don't feel like God really wants me to stay in this marriage. I just, I just have such a, oh, such a, oh. Well, maybe it's because God's calling you to stay in that marriage. How about that, you know? <laughs> and they get it out of this. This is absolutely not what it's talking about. This is talking about how Jesus con contrasts himself with the false leaders, the Pharisees of Israel, and how he is the actual shepherd. Okay? So what does it mean that his sheep know his voice? How do they know his voice? Well, to know his voice means, in this context, that they recognize that he was the one to save them from their fallen state. They have been waiting on the Messiah. They've been waiting on that one that's been promised. And they've been waiting and waiting. And when he appears, he, they go, oh, it's him. He's the one. He's the Messiah. And the Pharisees were standing there. Nope, it's not him. He worked on the Sabbath. Not him. We're still in charge. So they couldn't identify and recognize him to be the promised one. But God's sheep, or Jesus' sheep, they heard His voice. They heard Him speak, and they went, wow, that's truth. So what does it mean to that the sheep know His voice? They know. When they hear the truth, they just know, wow, that's true. Have you ever sat in the church, and you hear the truth being taught? And you went, you know, I never... I never felt as strong about that, but now that I'm hearing it, wow, that is just so true. Ever happened to you? You're listening to a preacher and you go like, yes, that's true. God is great. God is good. Yes, I, I, the gospel that makes so much sense to me. Well, that's because you are hearing his voice and you are following him. Let's go to verse 11, the next verse. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand, 
and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, this hired hand, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, and I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. Here Jesus calls himself the good shepherd to contrast his self-sacrifice and his protection of the sheep with those Jewish Pharisees who abuse and abandon those they claim to lead. I mean, do you, you know, Jesus was the one who walked into the temple and threw over the tables. Why did he throw over the tables? Money changes because they were using their position to abuse those that they, they were leading. They were making money off of people. And here Jesus says, they care for themselves, not for you. I'm the one that cares so much I will lay down my life for you. Then in verse 16 it says, <clears throat> and here he, Jesus escalates in his delivery of truth. He becomes much more pointed. He becomes much more clear. He speaks with such great authority. He cannot be misunderstood here. He is not making suggestions. He is not leaving any area gray. He is saying absolutes. He's making absolute decl declarations. He says, I and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen. They will listen. It's not like some of them might, some of them might not. No, they will listen. My sheep listens to my voice, he says, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. You see, the Jews were very comfortable with the idea of God preferring a certain group of people over another group of people. I mean, after all, they were the chosen, right? Of all the nations of the earth, God says to Israel, you are mine. I choose you. So they were very comfortable with the idea of God preferring a group of people. But here Jesus speaks about other sheep that are not of this fold. He's speaking to the Jews, and he says, yes, there are other sheep in this kingdom of God that are not of Israel. This offends them. The other sheep Jesus was speaking of, of course, are different people from different nationalities and people's groups all around the world, including the Greeks and the Romans and the Gentiles. And we also see Jesus saying in verse 16, they will listen to my voice and they will become one flock. And here's the big, here's the big point. I mean, it's inescapable. You cannot get around it or over it. You're standing right in front of this truth, which Jesus is saying that a person's response to his voice, the good shepherd, People's response to his voice depends on whether they are part of his flock or not. People's response to Jesus, to the word of God. Jesus is the word made flesh. People's response to Jesus, to the word of God, determines whether they are part of his sheep or not, part of his flock or not. That's why you can, with all confidence, Share the gospel. Because his sheep will hear him. 
They will. This is what makes. This is what makes it so. Um, makes a person so eager to actually go out and share the gospel, because his sheep cannot deny his truth. The moment they hear the gospel, their eyes go open, their ears go open, just like Jesus healed that blind man. Their blind eyes go open, and they go like, "Oh, I see the truth." You know what's interesting? Out of all the diseases that existed in the time, <coughs> Jesus raised one man from the dead. He healed a leper. <coughs> he healed a person here and there from different diseases. But the most prominent of all healings is he healed blind eyes, made them see. He healed deaf ears, made them hear. Why did he do that? Those were types and shadows of what he was about to do to everybody spiritually. Do you remember when Jesus was crucified? Right after the crucifixion, everybody was depressed. Disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus, just rehashing all the horrible things that just took place that weekend. Their hopes were absolutely shattered because the Messiah that they believed came to rescue them, just got crucified. And he just got buried. All of their hopes up in flames. And they're walking, talking about this. The Bible says suddenly, Jesus appears and he's walking with them. Hey, so how, what are you guys talking about, he says. They said, well, talking about what happened this weekend. He says, why are you guys so depressed? He says, they said to Jesus, well, where have you been? You don't know what happened? The one we thought was, was the Messiah was crucified and he's buried. The Bible says that Jesus opened their eyes. It's talking about spiritual, right? Opened their eyes so that they could see him and recognize him. And then he started showing them all of the Old Testament scriptures and how he has now fulfilled them. When Jesus made blind eyes see, he did so as a type and a shadow pointing to what he was going to do in the spirit. Verse 19, dissension occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon. He's insane. Why are you listening to him? Others were saying, these are not the words of one who is demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of those who are blind, can it? At the time, or at that time, the feast of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple area, the portico of Solomon, the Jews then surrounded Jesus and began saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. Then he says, makes a statement. He says, but, but you do not believe. Why? Because you are not of my sheep. You do not believe because you are not my sheep. He is not saying, if only you would believe, you would be part of my sheep. He didn't say that. He didn't say, come on, believe and be part of those who follow me. That's not what he was saying. He says, you do not believe 
And the reason you do not believe is because here's my sheep and you ain't part of them. That's why you cannot believe like they believe. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? I mean, look at it. Jesus is clearly identifying who his sheep are. Jesus is clearly identifying who it is that God gave to him to save his sheep. He says to the Pharisees that, they, that you do not believe because you are not part of those. You see, they did not recognize his voice. They heard him speak, and to them it was false. They heard him speak, and to them it was, no, nah, he's crazy. He's demon-possessed. Ah, he's a sinner. And they couldn't identify him. But then there are those whose eyes opened and went, wow. Their ears opened and they listened and they went, amen. You see, it's a miracle just like it was on the road to Emmaus. Verse 27. Here Jesus becomes even more specific, explicit, clear, black and white, no guesswork, no suggestions, declarations and promises and only that's all verse 27 my sheep listen to my voice i mean this is like the fourth time he said it <laughs> my sheep and here he doesn't say hear my voice he says listen to my voice and i know them and they follow me and i give them eternal life i mean these are all they're like take it to the bank it's done these aren't possibilities. These are clearly, clear truths articulated and declared by Christ. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. No two ways about it. And I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. I don't offer it to them. I give it to them, and they will never perish. I give them life. They're dead, and they go, oh, I'm alive. What happened? Jesus just gave them life. Jesus didn't say to, to Lazarus, Hey, Lazarus, would you like to take my offer and like rise? Would you like to? And deep in the cave, you hear the voice, Give me a minute, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> you know, that, that wasn't <laughs> the stay. No, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus just came forth. Jesus gave him life. And here Jesus says the same thing about his sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life. Eternal life. And they will never perish. Wow, these are like strong statements. It's not like any guesswork. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able, able, there's an inability to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but Jesus said, no one will snatch you out of my hand. And my Father who is greater than all, no one will snatch them out of His hand. I mean, there you are, hidden in Christ. It is impossible. You're in His hand, in the Father's hand. And no one, no one can. There's an inability for anyone to snatch you from his hand. I mean, these are exact and explicit declarations. And I don't know why we read these as in possibilities. Or, eh, well, Jesus, Jesus was offering me to never be snatched out of his hand. 
That's his offer. Or Jesus offered me eternal life. Or Jesus offered me uh, you know, gave me a few chances to follow him. Now he was saying, look, here's this sheep pen. These are mine. They hear my voice. They listen to my voice. They follow my voice. I give them eternal life. Okay, there are all those other sheep pens and everything. These are mine. I came to save them, is what he's saying. He's been saying it throughout the whole chapter. So it's very explicit, very exact. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the prince of preachers that lived in England, fantastic theologian, and is becoming more and more popular even today. He wrote a commentary on John 10, 28, regarding eternal security of the saints, and he said this, <clears throat> John 10, 28, I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Charles Spurgeon continues in his commentary, he says, We believe in the eternal security of the saints, number one, because they are Christ's, and He will never lose the sheep which He has bought with His blood and received of His Father. Number two, because He gives them eternal life, and if it be eternal, well then, it's eternal, and there can be no end. If spiritual life can die out, he says, it is evidently not eternal life. And that effectually shuts out that possibility. Number three, the Lord expressly says, they shall never perish as long as words have meaning. This secures believers from perishing. They shall never perish. If words have, have meaning, and as long as words have meaning, it secures a believer from ever perishing. The most obstinate unbeliever cannot force the meaning out of that sentence. Number four, he, he declares that his people are in his hand and he defies their enemies to pluck them out of it. End of quote. You see, it is extremely important for you and I to know that when we are reading these explicit, definite statements of Christ, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can take them out of my hand. We are not reading possibilities. We are reading promises. We are not reading probabilities or prospects. No, we, uh, uh, but we are reading a list of privileges and pledges made by God to the believer. That's what you're reading. See, these declarations are not based on a man's ability or man's goodness. If you're good enough, then you will never perish. No. It's not on man's goodness, it's on God's goodness. How about faithfulness? Doesn't he say, when they are unfaithful, I will remain faithful? You see, all those promises hang on the fact that God is able, not man. The fact that God is good, not man. The fact that God is righteous, not man. The fact that God saves us and we don't save ourselves. Somebody said it this way. If you could lose your salvation, you already would have. You would have. You didn't save yourself, but now you're going to keep yourself saved. Somehow that doesn't make sense. Jesus is the good shepherd. He leaves the 99. He will find that one. He is married too. He is Hosea. 
who remains married. So the question I want to end off with here today is who all may lay claim of Christ's priceless promises? Who can lay claim of all these great promises that, he will that we will never perish? He gives us eternal life. No one can snatch you from his hand. Who receives these promises? Well, his sheep. That's actually who he's talking about, right? He's not talking about all the other sheep. He's talking about those that God gave him. Well, who can say, ah, I'm part of his sheep. I'm a sheep. I'm sure you sitting there wondering like, yeah, how can I prove or know that I am part of his sheep? Is there a way to filter that through my mind? So I came up with what I call the sheep test. The sheep test. If he goes, ah. <laughs> oh, how does the goat go? I don't know. Same thing? Oh, okay. <laughs> that was a sheep. The sheep test is important because Jesus, in this whole entire chapter, explains to us what the sheep, what sheep do. And in a nutshell, those who hear his word not only preached externally, hearing it from somebody pre preaching it off a pulpit or from the corner of a street, but those who hear it internally, those who cannot ignore what they just heard with their ears. That, that's true. My God, I need forgiveness. Oh God, I need to be... That's true. I need Jesus. If, 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 if a heart does that, it's because that heart internally was drawn by what they externally heard. How would they believe if they didn't hear the gospel, the Bible says? And it is the gospel preached in people's natural ears that becomes the power of God to save them eternally. Doesn't the Bible says, say it's the gospel of Jesus Christ which is the power of God to save? That is the power of God to save, the message of the gospel. So it's those who hear it, not just externally, but then internally come alive to what they just heard. Those are the sheep. Because didn't he say, my sheep hear my voice and follow? They hear, everybody heard Jesus speak, but only his sheep heard his voice. The Pharisees thought they heard the voice of a sinner. They heard a voice of a demon-possessed man. They said, we heard the voice of the Messiah, and we followed. So, the next question is, how do I know that that is what I'm actually hearing? Because <laughs> we can talk with undefined terms and never really hit gold when it comes to truth. All communication rests upon definitions of terms. You can have two people talk about faith and, and teach two different complete messages on the meaning of that word. Talk about repentance, two different ideas. To the one, the word grace means God empowering me to overcome sin in this world. To the other one, grace means it's no matter how much I sin, I'm free too. The one is an antinomian, uh, antinomianist. But my point, you understand, all communication rests upon the definition of a term. To the one person, love means, you know, I give up my comfort in order to provide for you what you need. To the other person, love means, you know what? I got chills. <laughs> They're multiplying. 
I mean, it, everything means different things to different people, right? So my question is, what does it mean to hear his voice? You know that you hear his voice, and here's the sheep test. Number one, if you can answer this question, are your eyes open? Are your eyes open? You were once blind, but now you see. What does this mean? You were blind, but now you see. Your eyes were opened. You were healed. You received the miracle. Ask this question. Can you see your need for forgiveness because of your sin? My eyes just opened. God, I need you. Why? Because I just saw how fallen I am. You see, the person whose eyes aren't open, they go like, no, we're perfect. Like the Pharisees. No, you're a sinner, Jesus. You're the sinner. No, we, we're good. We're righteous. Their eyes were, they were so blind, they couldn't see just how fallen they really were. And that's why when we talk about total depravity, please don't think I'm trying to, trying to be a jerk of some sort. Total depravity is so important for people to realize, oh, I'm fallen. I have been totally corrupted by sin in every part of who I am. I'm not as bad as I could be, but every part of who I am has been touched by sin. My body is wearing out. My mind is unrenewed. My heart desire, the flesh tempts me. I mean, I am, unre I, I am fallen. And when I realize just how sinful I am in comparison to how holy God is, I need help. How did I get there? My eyes were open to this truth. So if somebody asks you, has God opened your eyes? What they're really asking is, are you able to see your depravity, your fallenness, and your desperate need for salvation? Can you see it? Or do you see yourself valuable and important to the point where God would do whatever He had to do to get you? No, the reason He did what He did in order to get you wasn't because of all of that. It was because He loves you, the Bible says. For God so loved what? the world, right? Loved the world. So are your eyes open? Can you see your only hope of forgiveness is through Jesus Christ? There is no possible way for my sin to be dealt with outside of Jesus Christ. Every single sin, because God is a good judge, every single sin will be brought to justice in Jesus Christ or in hell forever. Can you see your only hope of forgiveness through Jesus? Is your, are your eyes open? Have your blind eyes received sight? Is your fallenness a reality to you? If it is, yes, then your blind eyes have received sight. To the blind person, he doesn't really need Jesus. He goes to church because he needs friends. To the blind person, he, runs to, to, he doesn't run to Christ because he doesn't see his need for Christ. But to the person whose eyes have been opened, he can say wholeheartedly the most precious thing in all of my life is the cross. Second, are your ears open? When the Bible is preached to you, do you, do you hear the gospel as truth and as sufficient for your salvation? When the word of God is preached, are you looking for the argument or are you going like, wow, that's true. I'm wrong. God's right. Number three, do you have a new heart? This is how you know 
that you are the one who can hear his voice? Do you have a new heart? How do I know that I can hear the voice of the shepherd? Because my heart desires to be right with God. My heart desires above all to be right with God. You might put it in the opposite. Does your heart tremble at the thought of being separated before God? Does your heart tremble at the thought of being separated from God? Now, if your Christianity is one of a hybrid of your emotions and your imagination, my emotions is, oh, I just feel so loved, and I feel like God is just stroking my, my emotions right now, and I can just imagine Him smiling at me right now. I'm imagining Him smiling at me right now. That's not, that's not the Christianity we're talking about, because people go like, yeah, I don't want to separate from that. that. But that's not really God. When you look at the God of the Bible, do you really want to be separated? Do you mind being separated from Him for all eternity? Well, that, that makes me shudder. That makes me quake before when I open up the Scriptures and I realize I don't want to be separated from God. That's why I love more and more as I grow older and older, just to, I love to open this and say, what do you actually mean? I don't want to be separated from you, God. What do you actually mean? I want to be one with your thoughts. I want to be one with your heart. I want to be one with your reasoning. God, I want to be, I want to be submitted to your actual authority, not to my imagination. So the question is, do you have a new heart? Does your heart desire to be right with God? Does your heart shudder at the thought of being separated from Him? In other words, do you hear God calling you to come to Christ? When you hear the Word of God being preached, does your heart say, yes, that's me. God's calling me. Yes, that's me. God's speaking to me. And then number four, here's the final one. The final test or sheep test. The first one was, are your eyes open? Can you see your need for forgiveness and salvation? Number two, are your ears open? When you hear the word of God read, does your heart, do, do you say yes, amen? That's true. Number three, do you have a new heart? Now that you see the truth about yourself and God, now that you hear the gospel, the good news, number three, does your heart desire to be right? Yes, I want that. I want the gospel. I want to be made right with God through Jesus Christ alone, for by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to these scriptures alone, for God's glory alone. That's me. I want that. Do you have that desire? If so, you have a new heart. When you hear the word of God being preached, your heart says, yes. But here's the final, number four, the final sheep test is when you hear the voice, shepherd, you see your need for salvation, you, salvation you, or savior, you, you, your heart yearns to be right with God. The question is, will you follow him? Will you follow him? That's the question. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. Those are the two things that determine whether somebody is in his sheepfold or not. They hear my voice. They recognize me as Savior. They see their need for me. They hear the truth. They rejoice. 
their hearts desire it, and now, number two, they follow. So we have to ask the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? There are a couple of lame ideas on how to follow Jesus, and then there's the really real idea. The first lame idea is, I follow Jesus, I'm wearing that little band that says, what would Jesus do? Ah, somebody's got a flat tire, I got to pull over, because that's what Jesus would do. I pull over, I'm a Christian, I, I do what Jesus would do, I follow Jesus. Somebody else goes, well, I follow Jesus through baptism. I follow Jesus. Are you a, do you, are you a follower of Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, I think I am. I, I, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I was born a Christian. I follow Jesus. I, I call myself a Christian, therefore I'm a follower of Jesus. Those are all lame ideas of following Jesus. Here's another one. Moralism. Moralism. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about immoral people being saved by God in spite of who they are. <laughs> moralism is when you have to check all the boxes in order to be a Christian. And so moralism goes, I follow Jesus. Um, you know, that's why I don't sin. They see themselves as sinless. Here's another one. It's better, but it's still no good. It's when you become somebody who loves to feed the poor because Jesus loved to feed the poor, apparently. You... Um, you care for people who hurt because Jesus cared for people who hurt. You wash people's feet because Jesus washed people's feet. You hang with sinners because Jesus was, Jesus was friends of a sinner. Well, that really means he was friend of them because he would tell them the truth and he wouldn't lie to them. It didn't mean that he was, he was clubbing with them, you know. He was friend of sinners. And what you do is you love to be with the homeless because Jesus loves those, the least of these. Now that's good, but that, that means nothing if this final definition of following Jesus isn't a reality to a person. And here it is. To follow Jesus is He's taking you somewhere, right? If you're following Him, He's leading you from one place to another place. And the Bible said, Jesus speaking, I am the way, so there's a way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to Him but by me. So there's a way and there's a destination. And everybody who follows Jesus in that way will arrive at the destination which is the Father. You see, Jesus didn't come to reconcile with us. He came to reconcile us to the Father. Sin... Your and my sin, even though we, even though we steal it from, from Glenn over here, his money, my sin is against God. If I steal Glenn's money, my sin's against God. And it's my sin that breaks my relationship and fellowship with God. Jesus came to deal with that sin, not so that I can continue, but so that I can turn from it, repent from it, right? Jesus comes to deal with that sin so I can once again be reconciled with the Father. So, to follow Jesus means to follow Him all the way to the point of being reconciled with the Father. That's why prayer is so important. Fellowshipping with the Father. You might say, well, where is that? Acts 20, verse 20 through 21, our final verse. Acts 20, verse 20 and 21. Here the apostle is preaching, or he's, he's saying all that he did. And in this, he's explaining to us what it means to be a follower of Christ because that's what he was calling them to when he preached. He says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was beneficial and teaching you publicly and from house to house. 
solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks to do what? Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repenting, in other words, turning away from self, turning to God, no longer trying to save yourself, but repenting before God for your sin of unbelief and breaking His Word and faith in Jesus Christ that what Jesus did upon the cross is sufficient for me to be able to stand before God in the first place. So when you do that, you do that because your heart demands that you do it because your ears and your eyes have opened to the very truth of the gospel. It is my prayer, my hope, that we understand repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we follow Jesus. And all of the feet washing and all of the feeding of the world and so forth are all results of me loving God to the point where I cannot, but I cannot ignore His children who hurt. I love God so much, I cannot ignore His body. That's why Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, of course I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Love my sheep. Those I came to die for because that's His body. Amen. If you are here today or you're watching and you're saying, Jacques, I feel like my eyes are open and I see my fallenness. I see my absolute need for a Savior. I hear the Word of God and I, it rings so true in my heart. It's like my ears have been opened to truth. And number three, my heart now desires to be right with God. He gave me the desire of my heart and that desire is to want to be right with Him. That's me. I need to make right with God. Well, then I want to encourage you to do these three things. Search and keep on searching. Because then you will find. Knock and keep on knocking because then the door will be open. Knock and keep on knocking. That's how, this is how you knock. What does that mean? Where, how, do, how does this happen? Who are you, God? And how do you save me? And what do you require of me? That's knocking and keep on knocking. And that door will open to you so that you will be able to pass through ignorance into knowledge of God. Darkness into light. Search and keep on searching. Knock and keep on knocking. Ask and keep on asking. You can ask anybody here. You can ask me. You can ask God. What does this mean? How does this happen? When is God doing this or that for me? In regards to salvation. And when you do, you will receive. You will receive. Keep praying. Ask God to open your eyes, open your ears, and give you a brand new heart. And this is how you follow Him. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow. Let's pray.